and welcome back to another episode of Season 3 of Behind the Desk with me, Mark Thomas. The podcast where I meet some of the leading figures in the insurance and insurtech space, bringing you insights into their views and opinions on the sector, their career journeys, as well as a deeper look into the actual person behind the desk. We are now well underway for Season 3, and in this episode, Episode 2, I bring you Chris Wyatt, the Chief Data Officer at Beasley in the UK. Chris joined Beasley nearly 18 months or so ago now and has taken a key leadership role leading their data strategy as the business embarks on a major multi-year modernization agenda. Chris has previously spent 12 years working for Allianz uh, where he joined there as a grad and evolved into becoming their chief data officer before leaving fairly recently in his first big career move away from the, the firm that he, uh, he started with in the insurance space. I've known Chris for a few years now, but it was really great to understand how he found his passion in data, go back to the start and understand how he shaped his career over the last 15 years, starting out as a business and tech grad to evolving through some really unusual circumstances into a, a key leadership role at Allianz and how he dealt with uh, with being thrown in very much at the deep end. Some brilliant insights and uh, advice that he gives for people that are looking to do the same and, and how it's ultimately benefited him in the long run. Chris is a really great guy and I could have spoken to him for, for hours about his journey and his views on this sector. He's got some brilliant snippets of information and, uh, and, and views on where the data uh, space is heading from an insurance perspective. So without further delay, let's get behind the desk with Chris Wired. Chris, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Thanks, Mark. Yeah, very good. Pleasure to be here. I, I always pre-record uh, uh, an intro to this, but I, I'm sure I'm not doing it uh, complete justice. So it'd be great to tell the listeners kind of who you are. Yeah, absolute pleasure. Um, so Chris Wired, the Chief Data Officer at Beasley. So responsibility for the group's position on, on data. Been in role just over 12 months. So joined in July last year, supporting a new um, operations team, build out capability as we think differently about our core processes and business. Yeah, amazing. Great. So, look, we've known each other for a while, So, um, but I think with the, the, the podcast, I always like to go right back to the start. Um, so, obviously, you're uh, you're a data expert. Um, what what was the, the kind of catalyst for you getting into that? Um, were you were you into it as a as a kid? Like, where, what, what kind of got you into it to, to start with? Really interesting question and sort of one that I've heard you ask on other podcasts. So, I had a little think about it, right? And I've just turned 40, so kind of, if I'm generous, I'm just on the cusp of, you know, early entry millennial. And I, yeah. I would sort of say data and tech have kind of like been a, a kind of constant, right, in, in my life. And I was putting it into context, right, about sort of like growing up in 80s through the 90s. And it was quite nostalgic, really, you know, thinking about that period of time because you went through, you know, as a kid, like new kit there was new like computers came on board we had like nintendos we had like you know game boys we had disc moons we had like cassettes you know you had dvd cdds i haven't you know painted that in chronological order right but i was quite a techie nerdy kid in that regard right i wanted to engage with technology i wanted to engage with that i, I lent into it and i think that kind of like stayed with me as i kind of went through through school i was quite mathematical and so I'd always sort of been able to lean into kind of logic and challenge and like problem solving. 
And so I got to a point where sort of having completed kind of school and then doing some A-levels, computing, mathematics, kind of economics, that was like the sweet spot for me. And and then I've grown up in that environment, right, where tech and the internet and the world's kind of like, I don't know, is it just evolving, right? And there was just constant challenge. It, was, it wasn't like the pace of today, you know, it wasn't like something revolutionary happened every moment and there was a new app. But you very much had this like just shift of, you know, every six months there was something new, pushing the boundaries, changing the way at which we interacted, I think, with the world. And so I looked quite hard actually in retrospect about well, what do I want to, what do I want to do? Like where do I want to take some of those kind of skill sets? And I ended up going to university to do a course called Business Information Management Systems. And at the time, I kind of thought it was a degree for people almost who didn't know what they wanted to do. And I think that probably is still, probably, the university didn't quite position it like that, but probably some truth in that, in that you were doing like half computing, but then you were doing business studies and accounting and kind of marketing. And I found that really interesting. It gave me a good background in terms of how business works, but also that tech skills. It's very much roll up your sleeves and do coding. And it was a a degree down in the um, University of Plymouth and it had a sandwich year with it and then in that sandwich year I went into work at the, the Royal Air Force so when it's working one of their headquarters just outside Gloucester and was doing pretty pretty strong kind of coding tech development for pretty significant like applications that are being used so in today's world I guess it would have been like data kind of engineering and that was my first exposure to the workforce and there was really exciting but also really interesting in terms of like the type of applications you could develop and I guess where the military would have been leaning into and how they were thinking about tech so that was a real stimulus for me and I sort of came out and said like I really want to carry that forward to do more and more kind of tech more coding really be thinking about the way in which data is used in the commercial um, arenas came out of university in 2006 and like most graduates I think sort of just blanket applied it was like economic kind of crisis. It, the world wasn't really in a fantastic place. And so I was quite keen to get into kind of a role. And I went into Allianz ultimately to work to work for them. There was a little bit of a bump in the road in that they rejected me for the, for the graduate scheme, but offered me a place in their IT team. And so I ended up working on software called Polaris Product Writer, which I suspect many of the people who listen to this podcast may have heard of effectively building the the engine and, and the rating kind of engines that sat behind the commercial SME insurance products. Um, really enjoyed it, but it kind of, it was an interesting time in that it was the olden days. So you got given a bit of paper that like told you your requirements and you read the book and then you'd like code it up. And I found it useful and I was getting like context about how our products worked, but I wanted a bit more, so I kind of found and pursued an opportunity to come out of that, go and work in the business, and worked in business systems team, as it was called at the time. In that arena, became responsible for tools like Salesforce. It's pretty early, like CRM kind of Salesforce days, risk control survey systems, which were built off Lotus Notes, telling us how our workforce was moving around, what they were doing in the context of the insurance market geographical information systems so how we were thinking about exposure management and accumulation you know way back when but that was the best grounding for me around like tech and data because i 
sort of had my coding background that was with me but I was now leaning into like the business problems and business interfaces what it allowed me to do and I think where my kind of passion for data and tech really then took off was it allowed me to solve new problems there's loads of opportunities out there to actually it's like a um, sort of an ingredients menu was the way I saw it it was like how do I draw down and stitch together these data sets into something which is new and all of a sudden, there was like different conversations that I was able to trigger in the business about if I stitch together some of that knowledge, I think I can ask some different questions to our underwriting teams or to our marketing teams or to our broker relations teams. And it was at that point that I was like, actually, this is kind of what I enjoy doing. It's like stitching together these data sets and insights to just ask some questions almost. So there was a time in my career where I was quite technical and I've given you a sense about that. I'm not anymore. I've, you know, I've been on a journey. I've come out of you know that hands-on experience. But that sense of build some cocktails, build some questions, ask and challenge your business about does it have to be that way, or what if we put some new context or new overlays on it? That was the thing that kind of solidified my view about I want a career in tech and data because if I can keep doing that, I get I got a huge buzz from it, and then my career has obviously moved a little bit since then. And trying to captivate, I think, that kind of imagination and that challenge to, to make those inquiries into the business is something that's still a drive for me today. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's quite understandable. We're not that different. I'm 38, so we're not that much different in age. I definitely remember the Game Boys and the Nintendos and all that kind of stuff. But that's, and, and, yeah. and weirdly, I went to university and did a... Uh, uh, did a market, business and marketing degree and, and the business information system was a big part of that, although I, I'm certainly not technical, so I kind of lent the other way in marketing. It sounds like you kind of went the, the opposite. But it's, what's really interesting about that is that obviously you, you've kind of come into this career from a a more of a, a, a business and technology kind of slant, but not heavy technology, whereas uh, I think it'd be, I mean, I've probably interviewed 20-odd people on this podcast now, and the, the vast majority of them, certainly the, the kind of CTO, CDO, CIO um, pool of, of people, ha- generally came from a computer science background. I think it would be the fairly fairly yeah. common one, which obviously indicates that they they kind of knew that they wanted to do something in technology, whether that be coding or or, or, or like. But but it sounds like you didn't really know that. And then obviously, you, I mean, look, I know you were at Allianz for, for for a long time, and 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 kind of quite and quite unusually stayed at the same company and 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 ultimately become the chief data officer so what at what point would did did you know when you joined alliance that you you wanted to kind of double down on the data space and that was kind of where your passion was or did that kind of evolve from you just kind of doing the job and leading into it a bit more it, it evolved it certainly evolved at the the time you know those early early part of the career i hadn't really sort of recognized that that was going to be about data and insight and intelligence i think timing in in terms of you know that period as well was quite fortuitous it was you know the rise of big data it was the rise of apps it was the rise of some of the business intelligence kind of software coming on board and so i found myself in a bit of a niche area where i was willing to I guess not pursue a path that had existed in that organization before so i didn't really follow a career where i went into the next job role i found a way um and i think it was you know all credit to kind of alliance that it lent into you know my career in that regards but also others 
in that it kind of formed and thought differently about how it could use some of that skill set that was coming into the business. So there was a point where I applied for a job to be a, like a segmentation controller, which would have been an interesting development in my career because that would have almost taken me fully down the road of like underwriting almost. You would have become, I guess, the equivalent of the portfolio analyst today. You would have been looking at all of the underwriting data responsible, I think, for driving improvements, recommendations, challenging the current status quo, thinking about acceptance rules. And as a moment in my career, which you could never really plan for, and I'll be honest, not you know 100% comfortable talking about it now because it's, it's just an unfortunate turn of events. But I left that job application uh, and the interview process and was sort of told that I, I've got the role. And the next day I was going on my honeymoon. And I came back after two and a bit weeks out and was told that the person who had recruited me for that role had unfortunately passed away and so you can't really you know you, that, that's just you know not too often a scenario that people are going to have you know dealt with and what it what it did was change my career massively in that I was given the opportunity and asked to take on that interim role so it was like a double kind of promotion that happened and it was actually don't do the segmentation role we need you to look after the commercial data team which you would have been reporting into. And it was at that moment that, you know, for all of the the, the kind of horrible circumstances that surround that, um, I was pretty much, I think, entrenched in data from that, that moment forward, right? So I became responsible for a whole data team. Um, and then my career and the timing and the way that the kind of industry was moving, it's just been a kind of a catapult since then, to be honest with you. And so... The great thing about global business like Alliance is there's global communities and forums. And so we start to connect up, you know, what's happening in the UK to France, to Australia, to Germany, so on and so forth. Pockets of like, you know, community that then existed to drive those agendas. And so I did say an organization to your point, you know, a very long time. It was, it was never the plan, but it, it didn't ever really feel too stagnant, right? I can look back at that period of time and say... I easily did 10 to 12 jobs in a, you know, 15 year ish period. Mm. Yeah, that's it. You mean, the, the uh, look, you mean obviously the kind of tragic circumstances, um, but, but the, to, to kind of look, look at the kind of the, the, the positive side from a career perspective there, that, that's, uh, I, again, I think that's quite common. Um, not the circumstances obviously yeah. that happened, but, but the being thrown in at the deep end and, and, and therefore, kind of sink or swim. I mean, I, I again, I'm, I'm making an assumption, but that the fact that you then rose up the ranks in, into into kind of a a C level position relatively quickly for 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 your age and experience, um, probably I, I would imagine the fact that you did get thrown in at the deep end and 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 succeed probably gave them the confidence that you could continue to do that, right? But what 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 was that? What was that? I think that's a really thing to, good thing to, uh, to to kind of explore is how do you handle that? I mean, obviously it was going to be a relatively big step going up anyway, but moving up kind of double the levels with the the fact that the the, the person who that you were, would have been obviously looking at the people you'd have been looking after just gone through this kind of really uh, unusual tragic circumstance. What, what yeah. was that like? Yeah, it's interesting to to kind of reflect back on that period. So you know there was. Po- an awful lot of support that was put around, you know, me and the team in in different ways, as you would expect. 
from my own sort of personal um, kind of, I guess, development and kind of challenge, there was lots of opportunities made available to me around coaching and kind of mentoring both internally and externally. There was um, a lot of kind of development program and investment happening again, internal and external. And I'd refer back to kind of some of those communities that kind of practice that existed as well, which were, I guess, sort of the, the equivalent, if you like, of some of like the networks that exist out in different businesses or different industries. But just, the, you know, the size of that organization meant it could almost pull them together itself, probably pros and cons to that in some regard. But I think we as a team were, you know, we were well supported through the period. And then I guess I had to find some sort of personal kind of, you know, belief systems you know coping mechanisms for that and I think it's to your point about you can't you can't plan and some of the time sometimes your biggest career you know challenges will come in in either adversity or be that you know business or personal or or whatever the circumstance and so it was thrown in at the deep end but it was also a really interesting opportunity And, and I guess by interesting I mean I wasn't the most technical person in that team, far from it. And I don't think since that period, that point in my career, I've ever been the most technical person in any of the teams I've led or managed. And it comes back to probably what you picked up on earlier in terms of some of that kind of business point in that, you know, I would describe the way I approach my role today in certain scenarios, but also those roles back then. It's about trying to be a business kind of translator, right? Because I've got, architects and engineers and scientists and AI wizards I work with on a daily basis. But at at some times, I think you've just got to provide some of the leadership about building bridges back to what parts of the business can best leverage this and best, best, best maximize it and best pursue those opportunities. And I think, you know, some of the ways in which I've grown up in the insurance industry thought about kind of underwriting dynamics claims patterns so on and so forth this stood me in good stead because we i think we've all seen scenarios where excellent technical teams are doing excellent technical deliveries but when you kind of get into the but why or the where's the value or what's the outcome at times it's not always connected in the way it should be or it's potentially delivering for the most noisy stakeholder or the most challenging stakeholder but there is a big part of my role which I think both at Allianz currently at Easley is trying to create the cultures and the teams that lean into business value and business outcomes and truly truly measure that everyone says they're measuring it but actually have you really put in place kind of those structures and when you get to that point I think that's when it's you're really starting to I think broaden out some of the opportunities that exist for your technical teams and your data teams or your or your I guess some of your digital areas as well because once you've got kind of got that business context and you've really proven out yourself as the teams or the individuals that can support it does I think broaden out careers and I think technical areas sometimes struggle with that broad more broadly which is okay well I was you know a junior data scientist I was then a data scientist I was then a senior data scientist well what where am I going next well, is there an opportunity to open that up into kind of domains, decentralized, federates? Well, undoubtedly, but you can only do that with some of the context. So you've got to learn it along the way. And I think part of my role has always been in sort of challenging my teams to learn some of the context along the way and sharing that with them as well. 
Yeah, that, that, that's a, that's a really interesting one actually. I, I don't want to go too much into the, the kind of advice and stuff because definitely we've got we, we'll discuss that in in a bit anyway. But while sure. while we're on that, I mean, it that that's because obviously you you've had a, a, a relatively, or that will be predominantly in the data space. You, you've started from from breadth and 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 kind of narrowed that down as your career's uh, career's gone on. And, and and I suspect now actually in more more leadership roles becoming broader again. But the the would would you advise? Do, do you think that's a because it, it, it's funny actually. I was talking to someone earlier today, and and that they were asking me advice about that as well. That people become very very kind of tunnel visioned in regards to their career. They follow that typical route: engineer, senior engineer, team lead, or whatever, and they stay very much in their lane. Did do you, you you've you've moved around those lanes quite a bit in 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 a relatively short space of time. And and do you think that's important that people do that um, rather than kind of stay too tunnel visioned on on one kind of career type or or, or whatever it might be? Yeah, I, I I do personally. I think I don't think you don't think you have to. So within my model and sort of the way in which teams are being set up, there is the opportunity for both because you can't push it. I, I, it's my personal view that you're a more effective data analyst. Let's just use a generic term. If you're embedded and connected into kind of you know the business, but there are times where you just need someone to help you build out capability. You know, whether be that on kind of a platform or the supporting infrastructure or enablement. So at that point, if you if you want to work in those arenas, clearly you can. You, you don't always need to understand the context, but I think. The way in which careers ebb and flow and broaden out, taking some of those experiences about, okay, well, I was actually in a domain, I was part of that kind of broker relations team, or I was part of the claims arena, or as part of the underwriting space for this particular product. I th- I'd kind of come back to something I me- mentioned earlier about, I see those as like ingredients, right? So if you want to be successful in your career in data and tech or digital and insurance, the more of those stories that you can stitch together and the way that you can think about this sort of different outcomes and the different business areas, I do think there's a whole host of effectiveness and value that comes from that. And it's certainly with my kind of teams and people who I speak to as starting their careers in insurance, I would be advising some of this, which is like, well, find find niches, find things which the business is intrigued about but hasn't yet found the way of answering those questions because most organisations will allow you within reason you know the five the ten the fifteen percent to go and explore those projects because we all know that there's more value out there from our data than we've probably ever leveraged or realized before you only have to look at all the advances in kind of ai and advanced capabilities and the way that data is being refactored and constantly reimagined in terms of the art of the possible and i do think that if you've got some of those experiences from the domains you you've got more of a sense about what matters to the business and where focus and where opportunities lie. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's really interesting. We'll certainly dig into that a bit more in a, in a sec. Um, so so just to finish the career kind of uh, journey piece, um, so obviously kind of uh, 12, 14 years at, uh, at, at Allianz, last couple, I think that's actually when you became chief data officer, that's when I think we, we were introduced. Um you did that for a couple of years, and then and then uh, obviously moved on to to Beasley in uh, in the last kind of year or so. Um, 
what brought you to the end of the Alliance journey? Was that was that a kind of an active decision that it was time for you to make a move from there, um, or or something that just kind of came up that was too good to refuse? And 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 and, and I guess what made you choose the the role at Bees in? To, and I guess tell us a little bit more about what that what that looks like now. Yeah, certainly. So, um, the, the, as the period had kind of ended at Alliance, the business was sort of pursuing some strategies and some approaches which I didn't feel I didn't feel were would maximize my kind of skill set and wouldn't necessarily play into how I saw my career developing there was also some structural changes about how they wanted to see their business areas develop and at that point in time it, it, it that was certainly a trigger for me that I thought okay well I've had this great journey. I look back at all my time at Alliance fondly, but if I was ever going to leave, it was definitely kind of that that moment. It was also the world, you know, without being too kind of grand, a change. So this is post-COVID. Um, so we're sort of into 2020, um, late 21, early 22. Now, my sort of personal circumstances in terms of sort of... Um, parenting and where I was at at that time in my life meant it would be difficult from where I lived and, and what work and, and home looked like that for me to be in London five days a week full time but that was that was also true pre-COVID right and so I started to think differently about where you know potentially I could be in the parts of the market that I could engage with and, and look at and so just actively started to, to kind of have a look at, at what was out there and there was quite a lot, you know, it was the time of sort of what was, I think, being referred to as like the great migration in terms of, you know, everyone was leaving jobs at, at that point in time. There were lots of opportunities, things were happening, people were thinking differently about work, home and what they wanted. I think we'd all sort of, you know, at times people had found new purposes and were going in total, total opposite directions. Others wanting to sort of, I guess, put foot down on, on new opportunities. And I was probably in that space. And I wanted to challenge myself as well. So I kind of made the point earlier, I didn't see myself staying at Allianz forever. And the kind of the opportunities I were interested in were kind of coming to an end really. So I've applied for loads of things. I, yeah, I, I looked at different roles. Different. I also looked outside of insurance, which was interesting because I wasn't sure if I was, you know, in indoctrinated for want of a better term in terms of like insurance in the industry and I thought well yeah. there's only one way to fire which is go out and have some different conversations so I applied for some roles in like e-commerce I applied for some roles in different spaces um, different sectors and it was a fascinating experience because I wouldn't say it was entirely you know it wasn't a definitive conclusion that I must work in insurance for the rest of my life but I did find industries and organisations that it wasn't a match uh, and we had some really good conversations in that we were both saying this you know this isn't a match for these reasons but that's you know okay I then had a conversation with Beasley and I was immediately drawn to that business I was fascinated by it um, sort of taking the challenge I guess of general insurance and my experience um, and my observations of those markets into the London market the amount of change the amount of innovation that was going both through kind of Lloyd's and is still going through Lloyd's was interesting to me but also Beasley's sort of purpose and culture 
um, its global footprint, its being a global role that would allow me to think about building teams into US and other territories, working across new product lines, kind of, kind of as part of the journey. And at that time, there was a new COO, Ian Beasley, building out a new leadership team with huge visions. Yeah, so that was, that was Troy, I work for Troy now. And he as well was incredibly engaging and a, and a big draw for me because it was about resetting not just the data kind of team because for, without being sort of rude, lots of people are out there saying, well, we're going to invest in data and cloud and it's going to change everything in our business. And I'm not quite sure that's always going to be the case because you've, I think you've actually got to be changing your business processes as well to get all of the outcome and all of the value that you expect. And so Beasley as an organization was thinking about its you know, long-term futures around systems and architectures and where does it want to be. And so that also created a, an environment where I thought, okay, well, I can lean into the business, you know, take some of that experience we've just spoken about, can help establish a, a data office in conjunction with a changing leadership team around operations and those those things just made a, a match for me for, from day one. So I was delighted to take the role. We're, we're going to go into that, uh, the role that you the the and what's on the agenda, busy in a second. Um, what, it, I mean, I was interested to see that you you went out to different sectors and stuff like that. I was just yeah. going to get into that. Uh, I'm probably for my own my own uh, amusement more than anything. <laughs> what was it that you found that 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 didn't resonate with uh, other sectors? And 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 I guess on a more serious note, did. did did you find that an interesting experience uh, or an enjoyable experience? I'm sure there probably was some some good and bad parts of it. It's probably a bit time consuming, but it obviously brought you back to to kind of warm, or almost not quite the same same position, but but not far off from an insurance perspective. And, and is that something you kind of advise people to go and do? Because it, it sounds like you yeah. found you found out a little bit about yourself and what you what you liked and what you didn't like and stuff like that by by exploring a bit. Further afield, so I think people insurance can be quite tunnel vision. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but to explore a little bit, it can't. I don't think it can be a bad thing. Yeah, it, it was a, it was something I deliberately did to to challenge. Um, I was just genuinely curious about the process. Um, I would encourage anyone, you know, who who kind of has, has got kind of that desire or want to think about themselves in terms of you know purpose and platform and what drives them to do it because I took I took so much from the experience and it it probably left me thinking I should have done more of it earlier in in my career it wasn't about sort of a big reaction of not wanting to work in insurance that wasn't where it came from but I, but I was intrigued and it, if the right you know, organisational culture had been found. I would have pursued it. I'm sure it's out there, right? I don't. I still don't feel today like I have to stay in insurance forever. I'm not blinkered or tunnel visioned on that. It was more. I guess there were amusing points along it, but I went into that with my eyes wide open, right? So I I didn't present myself as a candidate that said, "Well, I think I'm here to take the job because I'm absolutely you know the best person for it for all of these reasons because I've got all of this experience in your industry." Um. So I think it worked both ways, right? In that there were people who were recruiting who wanted to have conversations with people from outside and how they saw the world. We we must 
remember that you know the insurance industry at times it gets a bit of a bad rap right but it's a great industry with a great purpose it's heavily regulated which drives a certain sort of behavior and, and kind of context and culture around it but the level of regulation and scrutiny in other industries is is on the up in in, in many instances and so they're, they're kind of curious as well to learn from what's happened in insurance and some of those journeys so very rewarding it helped me broaden out my network helped me have some different conversations that the one thing that was kind of missing and perhaps i I needed to find more of or challenge myself about whether I could do it longer term was, you know, those connections that I've got in my sort of history of underwriting and claims and broker and sales and distribution and these are the opportunities. When you put into that scenario about, well, how does it work in e-commerce or digital kind of arenas, you kind of know the recipes that can be built, but there was a level of authenticity that I can like really get into it in that actually maybe I do just enjoy, you know, those insurance kind of cocktails and helping teams in this industry build and solve solutions. So yeah, I would encourage everyone to do it a hundred percent. I think I'll probably do it again in the future to go and learn a bit more about myself and see where we're at. So yeah, all in all, it was a, a, a good, a good learning experience. Yeah, you I know, mean, I think it's interesting what you say about the uh, the kind of the the, the insurance background because uh, you you you're definitely right. It does get a bit of a, a bad rep, but uh, they, look, there's plenty more to do in insurance. Uh, um, I mean, it's just the start, right? I mean, from a, from a data perspective. So I think uh, in regards to kind of drastically changing the way a, 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 a not just a company but an industry does things, I think there's there's probably others, but I can't think of many others that are kind of ready to for for evolution as much as uh insurances and and that would change people's lives like you say like it like it does so i think that's uh it's interesting you came back to it but yeah i i think that's uh it's a good bit of advice definitely to go and explore it uh a bit more um so so kind of moving like lastly on to bz now like um been there for for kind of coming up for 18 months or so how's it been what's uh what's the kind of big stuff on the on the agenda for you at the moment and uh, yeah just t- tell us a bit more about what's going on at, at BZ right now yeah certainly so uh, I've loved it um you know the things that attracted me to the organization proved to be true um so, so that was definitely um a, a positive in terms of what's on the the plate right now we're building a, a, a modern data kind of platform. We're thinking about cloud very differently and leaning into the principles of data mesh. And I say leaning into the principles quite deliberately because there's a lot of sort of hype and, and noise around things like data mesh or fabric or whatever flavor you want to choose. For me, it's a, about how can I build the most effective operating model for the Beasley environment because Beasley's got lots of data it does lots of wonderful things with it but like most organizations that are probably you know two to three decades old operating in different markets different um, geographies there's work for us to do I think in building a, a kind of a culture where we share more of our data and uh, kind of maximize some of those opportunities and, and what the mesh allows me to do is say well you know here's some data that exists quite clearly to the finance domain here's some data that actually exists to you know another domain and we're we're thinking about okay well how are we going to put almost more of the data that exists already in our organization 
onto that pitch and you know what's that right design so that we've got different data teams some which sit with me some which are empowered and enabled by me to use the te- the technology that we're bringing into the organization differently so that's incredibly exciting for us because we're thinking about the data products that the business needs and what's going to have the maximum impact in terms of putting those into the hands of the people who need that data and that intelligence most and driving a more kind of productive architecture and platform by leveraging the huge opportunities that are available today in in terms of tech. Like most organizations, we've also got a, a program of work and investment and activity around AI. AI is an interesting area because in many respects, Beasley and other players have been doing AI for some time data science, machine learning models, they all connect into that kind of broader ecosystem that's being kind of, you know, reimagined, I guess, as a, you know, AI and it's captivated the, the board and the exec in terms of their desire and appetite to lean into the topic. So that's very helpful for me as I try and establish new data culture and new data organization structures and strategies. Um, so we're building out use cases, we're building out I guess almost utilities that try and simplify some of that in terms of the complexity. I think a lot of people are in the market today trying to sell AI solutions and AI platforms and AI capability. And my kind of view on it at the moment is it's so broad, it's so encompassing in terms of you know the art of the possible, the art to reimagine your business. You also need to operate in a space, I think, where it's engaging and compelling to many people. So we're trying to think about, you know, what are those utilities where we're actually we can put AI into the business in a way in which many people can benefit from it, leverage it, and we start a better conversation because we're all learning, we're all experimenting together. Yeah, yeah, sounds really, really interesting. You mean how? how well, two questions in one. What what's been the the difference in in moving from general insurance to to the London market? I think that's quite a unique. People do it, but it it it, it doesn't happen all the time. And I'm always interested to understand how people experience that. And what's been the the, the kind of what what's the differentiating factor around bees in comparison to not necessarily just Allianz, but what 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 is it is great about being there at the moment? The change. In, in terms of the general space into into the, the London market and Lloyd's, I think probably all the things that, that you would expect, but I can I can definitely give you um, my perspective on that. So the way in which the market is overseen kind of by, by Lloyd's and effectively, you know, regulated is interesting because you, you kind of have to think about building your front door into that market in a very different way in which you can in the general insurance space. But I think you've got a little bit more opportunity to exert influence around some broker behavior. And in in some instances, your end kind of customer. The, the fascinating thing, though, is that, you know, the Beasley proposition and the Beasley role around data is, is not centered on Lloyd's. We keep coming back to kind of Lloyd's and the specialty market, but it, there are investments in our digital business, there's investments in our business across um, different territories and different markets as well. So we're, we're trying to manage all of that complexity. So I have some areas which are very familiar, you know, it's it's exactly what we were doing in the general insurance space, but just through the, kind of the, the Beasley umbrella. 
And then there are areas where we have different business processes and different standards um, and different kind of frameworks just because of the way that Lloyd's has been established and the way it's grown up. So it just has a, an, an influence really in terms of the way in which our data perhaps you know comes together in aggregate. It's almost, I would almost think about it in terms of you know these is like you know different channels or, or kind of like different platforms, and what we are working through as an organisation is okay, but how do we stitch all of that together to kind of maximise maximise our insight and maximise our intelligence from it? So it just is similar, I guess, to general insurance where. We had a direct channel, we had an SME channel, and we had a mid-corporate kind of commercial channel. There are times when you can really maximize that data in terms of its opportunity because there's clear synergy across those channels. And there's times when you can't, and it's almost just that same piece within the, the Lloyd space. Now, clearly Lloyd's is different, you know, special, great heritage. The thing that's exciting about it is future at Lloyd's, the blueprint too, and, it, and its appetite and ambition to to modernize as well and that is a culture that i see be it through kind of what lloyd's is trying to achieve and indeed where beasley is at right now and so beasley is a special place um it's remarkable in that culturally so many of the individuals there live and breathe kind of all of the, the kind of attributes and kind of behaviors that has kind of been been part of its journey, part of it kind of growing up. So because it kind of touches back to its history and heritage so often. Um, so you know, it, it being created as a you know a single individual with a box, a kind of Lloyd's, it's to where it is now, is a really impressive story. And many people have been in the organisation for for you know key parts of that journey. And that's still with it, and it's still still kind of in its heart as it goes on this pursuit to become an ever more innovative, entrepreneurial player who's moving much more kind of digital and much more underwriting-led and customer-focused processes out to its respective kind of markets and territories. And so I would say kind of the people make Beasley really, really special. And the ambition is significant and the ambition is not locked into let's do some really interesting things on data. It's how do we make our business the most compelling and the most engaging within our markets and let's challenge ourselves about what those markets are because it doesn't need to be static and it should be where people need us to be to make a difference to them in the moments that matter. Amazing. Yeah. Right, so I want to go like kind of a bit broader yeah. and and just get your view. Like, I mean, you've touched on a couple of bits uh, there, but but certainly get your view on um, kind of where you see the insurance space kind of evolving from a data perspective over the next few years or so. What you think the big things on the agenda are, are, are going to be, and 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 the the kind of major challenges that you you, you see the, the the kind of sector facing from a it doesn't necessarily have to be from a data perspective, but but I'd be interested to get your insight on that. Yeah, I can give a, a couple of sort of perspectives from 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 different angles, if you like. So, if I think about what we just touched on in terms of well, you know, what's on the the plate for for me at Beasley and many of my peers in in kind of the, the other insurance players across the market, we are all pulling together our respective strategies, investments teams around 
AI and how we're going to leverage that to unlock, you know, opportunities. So clearly there's something in there about how that, you know, it's a significant opportunity to be more entrepreneurial and innovative with data is balanced with responsible outcomes and ethical decisions. And and I think that's a key kind of area of focus that many CDOs, COOs, and just effectively boards will be grappling with into 2024 and beyond in terms of we, we've always had these principles we've always had these standards about how we should ethically manage kind of the data decisions that, that we generate but the the breadth of them is ever increasing the way in which they are dependent on potentially internal teams or external teams or open source kind of models again just changes the way i think that we need to think about that so something that's close to, to kind of my heart and something that we absolutely have to get right and i think that's true across the market it's we need to recognize the responsible role we need to play in the deployment of kind of tech and decisioning you know if i flip totally out of that into kind of the insurance kind of market i, d- I don't think you would kind of come out of this conversation without me expecting to talk about kind of climate change and risk and you know you could introduce those into it and at the you know at the macro level the the industry has got to grapple with the changing nature of risk it, on so many different factors if we just you know ever so briefly touch into kind of climate and what that's going to look like in terms of the changing nature of property risk to what that's going to look like in the context of kind of risk acceptance how insurers need to think differently perhaps about different territories different countries different regulatory matters that will emerge undoubtedly out of climate change and our responsibility as well as as a market to still be there for individuals and organizations and customers as they go through that change is significant so you know you can have two things like that that can be on my, my kind of desk if you like as a cdo in any given day about okay well how are we going to support our exposure management team and accumulation considerations around the property account and balance that with our esg strategy and also think about that in the context of generating responsible outcomes as we use data both in you know traditional forms all the way through to more advanced capabilities that we can leverage today as we modernize yeah, you I know, mean, I think I think you see, you're certainly seeing that at the uh, at the kind of uh, at the personal level, just in the kind of motor sector at the moment. I mean, like the kind of the, yeah, the change in environment there has meant that it's really difficult to, for a lot of people. You see it, uh, see it on LinkedIn regularly. I've certainly experienced like not being able to get insured for uh, for cars and been premiums going through the roof and all that kind of stuff. It's uh, yeah, it's certainly a change in landscape. Yeah, yeah, uh, you won't be aware of this, but my fiance, she is the director of underwriting at one of the sort of largest um, sort of direct retail insurers. So you can imagine the types of conversation that, like, you know, we have over dinner. It's, uh, you know, all of these things into one, right, about, oh, you know, how was your day at work today? Well, my day was good. I was grappling with these things in the specialty market, was trying to drive these things into our tech and data agenda. Oh, and by the way, why is my car insurance renewal gone up? And, you know, we, we, we can get into that kind of conversation with us. It's like, you know, we're the best people in the world to go out for dinner with if you want to have a conversation about insurance. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Um, 
So um, I, I, I guess I just wanted to kind of move. Let, let, there's been some brilliant points in there that, that from an advice perspective, but to, to kind of s- solidify it all together, you I mean, I, I'd be really interested to get your view on two sides, really. I mean, advice that you, having gone through the, the, the kind of process that you, you have that you would give to other kind of budding CDOs, people that maybe are doing some of those technical roles, even people that are in the business, in a domain, underwriting claims, whatever it might be, that have ambitions to, to kind of evolve out of that. So it'd be good to get a view on that. And and, and equally, to, to kind of pair up with that, any, any other advice that you've been given throughout that period of your career that you that, that was, was really kind of prevalent to you? Yeah, so in terms of the advice that I would be sort of giving are you wanting to come at that from sort of the angle of advice to cdos or was it sort sort of more about kind of you know individuals in the organization yeah you mean I, I think i think lots of people that listen to this podcast are are people that are are probably the level below or yeah. maybe a couple of levels below so kind of yeah it'd be good to to get your view on kind of advice you would give to people that, that really want to get to that that uh the position you're in at the moment from, from your perspective of how you've uh you you've got there yourself yeah sure I, i'm yet to be convinced and it's all from like sort of the peer kind of network things and various dinners and chatting to lots of cdos and, and even sort of ctos cios because often data can still be found in the it organization it's not always it's like distinct entity so i don't think there is like this one size fits all persona of what a CDO is right now. And I think it's going to continue to evolve and change. I think I've been quite fortunate that sort of the time that I've come into the industry and the change around kind of data and the focus around it has allowed me to create a role which is sort of this translator slash business kind of CDO kind of role working with technical teams. But I don't think that that's the the fit in everyone else's kind of CDO territory in, in the market. I, I really don't. I think some of them are much closer to CTO. I think some are much closer to CIO. I think some are closer to heads of data. And that's all okay, right? Because I think we're all trying to work out what that looks like. And the reason it's relevant is I think it will continue to evolve. Um, digital and analytics, you know, just as broad topics are very different to some of the activities that will sit in data governance and quality and management. And so I think the way that your kind of CDO exists either today or could evolve is there to be influenced is probably that, you know, where I'm getting to in terms of that kind of comment. So don't, I don't think there's anyone out there who should be thinking, well, if I want to be a CDO, these are the 10 things I've got to do. Because I just don't think it's quite, that prescribed at the moment so taking a step away from that as a bit of context i think it's all about being curious i think it's about moving within your business i think it's about finding niches and learning from it and and you know trying to harness those as you like your superpower i think it's about using data to drive different conversations within your business and don't be afraid for over half of those to go nowhere it's absolutely fine for hypothesis and use cases or ideas to be dismissed because they've got to fit into the environment and the context of that business. 
because having a data strategy or a CDO is not about doing data things for the sake of it. I absolutely believe it's about how do you infuse your business strategy with better data outcomes and consideration and concepts. And so that that kind of has to lead, right? It's like, what what are we trying to achieve as a business and how do we use our data, our expertise and our capability to help us get there? So I think I kind of have that as your North Star and it allows you then kind of the freedom as you think about plotting your career to challenge, to lean into some different conversations and, and, and be prepared, I guess, to... I don't want to say fail. Fail, like, at one level, I don't want to say fail. But be prepared to take experiments, be prepared to take concepts, be prepared to take capabilities, just drive advocacy around that kind of pursuit of can we make our business outcomes better? What is it you're trying to achieve in the business? What is it that's in your medium-term plan and can we get there sooner? What is it that's actually, you know, the, all the crunchy questions that you're not asking yourself today because you've not had the capacity or the opportunity to? Those bodies of work, that mindset, that's where I think your future kind of CDOs, tech, kind of digital leaders are. And so my advice then is, if you're in an organization in insurance, you've already got a great platform, I think, to kind of lean into some of that stuff. And, and just try and kind of leverage it and try and build some advocacy around how you and your team, if, you, if you're fortunate enough to have one, have got a great platform to drive some different conversations in the business because any business is likely to have many individuals who only understand the data that it's received to date. It's only understood the insight that it's received to date. And some of the strangest conversations are when data people kind of arrive into the kind of the business space and say well what can I do for you how can I help you because it's it's not always the conversation that kind of happens right we often arrive with here's the solution what was the problem kind of challenge I see I've seen that a lot right I've seen that in every organization in every data team go and have those conversations about what is it that you can't get to today that would make a big difference and I think it will make a big difference to your career sort of trajectory and your career opportunities. What about advice you've been given? Uh, what, what's the what's the best piece of advice you've been given throughout the throughout your career so far? Yeah, so it, it's nothing that actually is that kind of grand or kind of inspirational, but it's something that stayed stayed with me throughout, and it's around sort of people and kind of talent development and. It's almost like the theory and kind of concept of like marginal gains, if you will. And it kind of come from a conversation I was having years back, which was, you know, how to drive the improvement of the team, how to drive that kind of performance. And it was off the back of me trying to push more and more of what was probably considered to be the top talent into, you know, different spaces and looking to do some things there. And I'd sort of become a little bit blinkered if, I, if I'm kind of totally honest with myself now. And we started to, you know, explore some of the um, kind of analogy around, like, you know, Dave Brailsford and like this, the, you know, the cycling kind of environment and team. And he was renownedly, like, you know, sort of famous. Everyone's kind of spoken about this in the past about, well, what if you reimagine kind of all of the core 
components of a you know bicycle and if you can drive a one percent improvement or two percent improvement within that i think it's a similar kind of concept right that runs through formula one or other kind of spaces and for me that was kind of interesting then in that kind of concept of building a team because you've got to meet people where they are and not everyone wants to be a cda not everyone actually wants to kind of change jobs some people you know just want to do a, you know a solid kind of performance and be rewarded and recognized for that and it's kind of just stayed with me which is what if you can drive that two to three percent kind of improvement in a team on a monthly quarterly basis and it doesn't have to be like big victories all the time just the kind of like the compound the long-term impact of that is so significant and so it was just like this kind of throwaway kind of comment really but it's something that kind of captured I guess something within me and, and just stayed with me which is actually lead in that fashion and be inclusive of course but actually just that focus on individual performance into the team dynamic and what you can achieve from it is, is something which is pretty close to my kind of heart yeah I think that's really good yeah I'm a I'm a massive believer in that and I've uh, I've read those books as well like uh, I think they're they're brilliant in concepts and Ultimately, they work, don't they? And they, uh, they? I think a lot of people are trying to solve a massive problem a lot of the time when actually it's kind of just slight, slight improvements that make a big difference, don't they? So, so look, we're coming towards the end. Like this is, uh, we're, we're we're we've flown through an hour. Um, I could I could talk uh, for 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 another hour easily about uh, this stuff is really interesting. Um, I, I always finish the podcast with a bit of fun uh, with uh, a kind of a, a quick fire round, but. Uh, couple of kind of standard questions I always ask is what is it you love about the insurance space and having having looked at moving out of it and come back there must be I guess there must be something that you uh that uh, is catchy here so what, what what's the what's the thing that you love about the insurance space the most I think we, we kind of briefly touched on it earlier in the conversation for me it you know at its heart at its origins it is an incredibly purposeful industry trying to help individuals organizations and it's proven time and time again as an industry that it it's there for people you know at their time of need and, and when it matters so i'm genuinely kind of captivated by that as a bit of a kind of a mission now and kind of we touched on it earlier right you sometimes get the bad press or insurance as a purchase of being a necessary kind of evil but when it when the world goes horribly horribly wrong it's um it's a, a, an industry that responds time and time again yeah yeah totally agree um the uh the next one is um what, what's the best thing about being behind your desk right now so the thing that i'm enjoying the most right now is i've established my um kind of leadership team that, that's kind of been appointed and recruited so it, that's allowed me over the last few months to probably change the way in which you know my CDO role is operating and that it's um, now got that opportunity and platform to lead kind of for others and I genuinely feel like we've recruited a, a kind of a fantastic team so I'm incredibly excited about that um, we've just concluded the first re release of some new technology that we're putting into the business which again is um, another exciting kind of sign so I'm excited and engaged about starting to put all these kind of parts together. Um, and that's a big motivating factor for me into 2024 because I think it allows me to get to some of the things I've said today in terms of 
you know, how I like to work and how I see the role and what it will mean for the business going forward. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. Right. So some quick fire questions. What's the one piece of technology you can live without? Mobile phone. Are you, a, are you iPhone or Andro- Android to use that? I've, 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 I've done the switch, which um, is, is often spoken about and um, not often achieved. So I, I was iPhone, but I'm now Android. Oh, wow. How have you found that? Uh, horrendous for about a month and then a welcome joy afterwards. And I, I'm not going to start talking about battery less. <laughs> yes. Great. So uh, next one uh, is what's the brand or company that you really admire and why? Um, I knew you were going to ask that. I, did, I, I don't want to do like a cliche one. And um, so I'm going to do almost like a, I don't know how you describe it, uh, certainly an organisation, but like a, a visitor attraction. So I had the pleasure uh, a couple of years ago as part of a sort of leadership thing of spending a couple of days behind the scenes at the Eden Project down in down in Cornwall. When you saw Eden Project, right, you kind of, until I'd been, I'm sort of thinking, well, you've got, what a, a greenhouse in Cornwall, uh, which is uh, not not the best review you, you you could imagine. But we met um, Tim Schmidt, who kind of put this stuff together right, and his vision for it. And so he took you know a flooded cliff face, turned it into a, a kind of took it sorry from like a clay pit into this diverse ecosystem. One. Um, biome representing a rainforest one representing the mediterranean and it's now actually you know i would think you could probably describe it as a, a bit of an industry and in that it's now going out across the world and um, putting up different kind of projects around and so that human kind of vision and then what they've managed to put around that and i could talk about it for for, for ages but i won't but as something a bit different i thought i'd just share with you a brief snippet into you know some time i had behind the scenes of the eden project and that captivated me and kind of stayed with me as actually i really admire the purpose and the vision and then actually what's been achieved from that the uh next one is the favorite business related book I, I don't read a business book a month like i'm not in that territory right i, I probably get through a couple of year the two that uh occupying sort of my my train rides at the minute are, um slightly different so one of them's how to Measure Anything by Douglas Hubbard. Um, the other one, which is something I've picked up after the Gartner Data Analytics kind of conference, is a book called Chip War. And the reason for that is Chris Miller, the author, did the, um, I think, keynote or, or the closing one day, and effectively about kind of the arms race um, and kind of, the, I guess, the pursuit of the the kind of logistics and all of the core components around the computer chip and actually what that means in the context of the world and the geopolitical environment so um kind of an interesting thing which is industry relevant but also opening up into some other broader considerations yeah yeah interesting i'll take a look uh favorite uh, film or tv series i'd love to come up with something like you know really um, kind of cultural and you know it give you like a wonderful kind of insight tv series I, I don't watch a lot of tv I've, I've got to be honest like you know life's, life's pretty busy but the one thing that has become a very guilty pleasure and i have in the past been very sort of dismissive of this as even a concept but um i do enjoy it now on a friday night is gogglebox 
And so I, I take great pleasure in watching other people review the activities of the, the kind of the TV week. And it's just perfectly timed on a Friday at nine o'clock to enjoy with a glass of wine in hand. I can't believe I've said that, but yeah, blah, blah, blah. Nice. Yeah, look, I, I have to admit, I'm a fan as well. It's uh, it's, a, it's a bit like uh, the Big Brother concept as well. It's almost when it first comes out. So is this actually going to be, it's actually going to be good to watch, but it... I was a, a late, a late adopter. And they're sort of in that space where yeah. I think it was in, in kind of lockdowns where you're like, okay, well, there's nothing else to do now. So now I'm going to start watching other people watch, te- watch TV, but it is pretty captivating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Agreed. If you weren't a technology leader, uh, what would you be? Um, I'd love to be able to say some sort of professional kind of like in a sports star, but those days were never here and they're certainly behind me now. I would probably be a teacher. Really? Teaching what? Um, I don't know. I potentially could go back to kind of maths or something like that. But uh, I think I, you know, if it was, you know, if we were in the lands of, you know, realism and we're not going to go for the, you know, this would be my um, superstar kind of moment, I think I would in, I would enjoy the kind of coaching, developing that kind of nurturing part of it. I say that today, I could imagine actually being a teacher, being horrendously hard work and probably not enjoying it after a couple of days and then uh last one who who is the number one your number one role model or person you admire there's loads of people i admire people you know both who've influenced kind of my career or people i would look up to and you know there's loads of people loads of people out there with you know great platforms who could almost reel off you know people who i've enjoyed or taken sort of great inspiration from I probably put more of a personal kind of reflection on the conversation or sorry on the question which is you know I'd, I'd often look to kind of like you know, family for you know people I would you know a- admire um, and I'm fortunate enough to be able to do that with my late grandfather who was an RAF pilot and he, he would have started for sort of flying planes not long after the end of World War Two, and he was part of a, a kind of a, a band of brothers for one of better not really a band of brothers but part of a flight squad who were experimenting with how to break the speed of sound so he was going up in planes in sort of like the 1950s made of not much more i think from what i can make out in terms of like you know wood and a little bit of um kind of filler around the side and they were kind of going up as you know high as you can imagine cutting out the engine and then dive bombing down to earth to try and break the speed of sound and there's um you know we've we've got obviously as a family a lot of that kind of memorabilia and kind of information around what they were up to and how they achieved and there was then later kind of used of course to drive innovation into into aviation and flying so i admire that no end right because i would get scared going on a roller coaster and being plugged in and you know swung around at 80 miles an hour let alone that kind of thought and concept of doing it in a plane with no safety equipment so yeah, I'm full of admiration for anyone who was doing that back then. Yeah, well, what an amazing uh, rumble. That's what a great way to finish. Um, well, look, you mean that, uh, Chris, I've I've loved every minute of this. This is uh, really good. F- first of all, fa- thank you so much for, for giving up your time to uh, to have a chat. Um, uh, I know we've been talking about doing it for a, uh, a while, so uh, it's uh, it's great to have you on. Look, off the back of this, I'm sure there'll be some people that, that want to connect with you and, uh, um, and, and, and kind of reach out and stuff like that. Um, is are you happy for people to kind of reach out on LinkedIn and, and, and connect, whether that be uh, 
just to just to be be friends or or, uh, or or talk to you more about Beasley or whatever whatever you're doing there. Is that is it, are you, you is that the best way? And are you cool with people doing that? Yeah, absolutely. More than happy. And um, thank you for the opportunity, Mark. Really appreciate it. Brilliant. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Behind the Desk with me, Mark Thomas. If you like the episode, please subscribe, give us a five-star rating, like and a comment, and even better, please share with your friends and colleagues. If you have any suggestions for future guests or other areas you'd like me to explore, it would be great to hear them. Behind the Desk is powered by Eames Consulting, part of the Eames Group. You can find out more about us at eamesconsulting.com. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to catching up with you again next time.